Clay Schroff, and it is so good to be back after the pandemic season. I hope that you guys found guidance through our interviews with the state police, the National Guard, and so many others bringing you up-to-date information on COVID. Now, we've since deleted those because we want timeless episodes that you can go back and listen to again and again. Today's guest is definitely one of those people you're going to want to listen to more than once. Now listen, Brian Allerid is the pastor of Passion Church for over 27 years. He has written the book. He is the author of When People Pray. He is the CEO and president of America Praise, which is branched out into world praise. But the reason we have Brian on our episode today is this. In communities, hurting communities, those who are hungry, those who need help, Brian has been a master at reaching across party lines, ethnic lines, religious lines, and bringing people together for the good of those in our neighborhoods, our states, and the world. So this is just a sneak peek of how Brian Allerid, what he thinks, how he believes, and how he reaches out and touches the hearts of so many. Here we go. Hey, this is Clay Schroff with Voice of a Lion, and Michelle is unable to be with us today, but... I have a very special guest on the show. They're dear friends of our family. Brian Allerid is the pastor of Passion Church for coming up on 27 years, Brian? Yes, sir. He's 27 pre- years in the ministry. 27 yeah. years. Now, he is the CEO and president of America Praise, but that has branched out and to world praise, has it not? You know, by by the grace of God, yeah, it's spread to other nations, and it's just been amazing to see what God's done. And just so you know, the reason that we have uh, Brian on today is not only is he a pastor, he's a public speaker, he's a community organizer, so he's been able to reach out into our communities and bring people together. He's a counselor, a father of three, and a husband to a wife that is fully supportive. Uh, Mercy is his wife, and her and my wife are dear friends. And uh, the reason that we have Brian on, Brian, this is really, I'm just kind of going to jump into it, and we'll figure out where we go from there. But we live in a time where people are drawing circles around themselves, either due to political parties, due to color, race, religion, people groups, what our belief systems are, and you have been able to reach across the aisles. It doesn't matter uh, what party you're with. It doesn't matter. Um, just it really doesn't matter to you. You reach across lines and pull people together for the good of the community. And uh, I want to talk about that. I want to find out how you have been able to tear down walls and invite people in for the betterment of their communities and, of course, the world. Thank you, Clay. You're welcome. You know, I, I, I think you know, I think for me, it all starts with with, with Jesus, and uh, and I'm not talking about Jesus, the religious figure, as the leader of a religious movement. I'm talking about Jesus, the man. Um, you know, when there's a woman caught in an act of adultery, and and Jewish leaders are saying stone her, and and he puts himself in front of the stones and kneels down with her. What an example of God's grace and God's mercy. And to, to tear down walls and, and to uh, cross into someone else's world. And, and I, think that, I think that's the a thing that's really missed in our world today. It's this thing called empathy. And because uh, sympathy means I feel bad for you, right? You, could, you can see somebody in a, maybe a hard economic situation or battling physical 
sickness and go, I feel bad for you. That's that sympathy. The world doesn't need more sympathy. Empathy is different. It means I understand how you feel and I put myself in your place and I stand with you. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see over and over again in the life of Jesus is that when there was a leper who, who were untouchable, he always touched the untouchable. He put himself with the leper. When there was a woman, and he's not saying, hey, adultery is okay. <laughs> uh, right. But he puts himself with the adulteress. When, you know, every time there was a choice, Jesus made the choice of empathy and uh, to stand with those who were hurting and lost and broken. And so I think we're missing empathy. I think the other thing we're missing in this world is just basic, deep, deep, basic respect, you know, because I don't have to agree with your positions to respect you. And, uh, you know, the first principle we see in, in the Bible about life is that you reap what you sow. And if you can't sow respect, you don't, you're not going to reap respect. Mm. And we've lost that in our political dialogue. We've lost that in our family dialogue. And just this ability to say, I don't agree with you, but I respect you. And I respect your, your right to believe that way and to feel that way <laughs> and, and to treat you with kindness and respect. And, uh, you know, I think for me, Clay, I, I saw that in Jesus and I, and I didn't see that in the religious world a lot, but I did see that in the Bible and the person of Jesus and that drew me to him. And that made me want to, you know, I have my own beliefs, but to set those aside and just to say, Hey, let's go with the goers and work with those who want to work. Let's tear down walls and, and let's, let's, let's make this world a better place. And, uh, that's been a driving passion of mine for, for a long time. You know what I found with you and Mercy is that you guys find a need. And uh, if you have the ability to f- fill that need, you guys step right up. And one of, the th- one of the ways that you've been able to do that is to reach out to other people. Um, you're, you're, you're a great storyteller. I love, I love just going the, to dinner and, and hanging out with you guys just because the stories you tell. But you're able to actually convey the story of the need and get people to come in. And I think there's a lot of people out there who are, you know, they're hurting or their communities are hurting and they don't know how to take that first step on how to bringing people together. So let's say that uh, now you moved away from Albuquerque and you moved way out there to Austin. So they're lucky to have you. If you're from Austin, Texas, we're very jealous that the Allerids are out there with you. Um, but let's say that, that someone's clear across in another part of the world and they want to start making a difference. What are some of the first steps that you would give them to start bringing people together to initiate change? Yeah, that's a great question, Clay. And uh, I think it always starts with what do you have? Um, you know, God called Moses uh, to set the Jewish people free from Egyptian slavery. And he looked around and said, here's this huge Egyptian empire. <laughs> what do I got? I got nothing. I've, I've been in the desert for 40 years and I got nothing. And, and God asked Moses a question that I think would apply to everybody listening today. What's in your hand? Mm. What, what's in your hand? And uh, he said, uh, a shepherd's staff, you know, a, a, a dead piece of wood, you know, and uh, a stick. And, uh, and God says, I can use that stick. And so I always think it starts with what you have. What what do you have? What can you do to make a positive difference in, in one person's life? You know, before we were ministering to 10,000 people at the convention center, it started with one or two. Right. And it started, 
you know, going going down on Central, we moved to Albuquerque 25 years ago and ministering to one homeless person um, with, without a lot of incredible success stories to tell. Uh, but we did it every Saturday and uh, we just had a heart for the homeless, not knowing that that years later, my brother would become a drug addict and he would become homeless. Mm. Um, and, then, and then it became personal. And he was on the streets for, for the better part of 10 years as a heroin addict, uh, went to prison. And uh, but then, you know, got healed him. He got delivered in prison. And now he's out. He's a pastor. He has three homes for, for addicts, you know. Uh, but it just started with helping one homeless person. And so if you can't help a thousand, help ten. If you can't help ten, help one. And I think we minimize that. We want to make a big difference. And because we don't have the energy resources to make a big difference, it paralyzes and we don't make any difference, right? And so I think if you help one person, that can inspire someone else to come alongside you. Together, you can help two people. And then, and then maybe you help four people. And I think it just takes somebody stepping out to say, what do I have? What's in my hand? Okay, soup. Okay, I can make soup. You know, uh, what, what do I have? I have a lawnmower. I can go mow, mow somebody's yard. One simple act of kindness can create a, a chain event a chain of events that, that really does bring community transformation. And I've seen it always starts with, with a few acts of kindness. Someone has to step up and say, you know what, I want to I wanna be a light. I want to make a difference. And uh, and I'll use whatever I got. So before we were ministering to 10,000, you know, it was one at a time. It was two at a time. It was before we were working with ATS with thousands of students, it was five students you know, one student. And I'll tell you, the first school we got to serve out at, at APS, you know, we, we said, we, we want to do this. We want, you know, we want to make a difference in your school. And they said, thank you. Uh, could you clean up needles? Uh, because there's no park near our school. So our, 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 our elementary school playground serves as the, as the, the park hangout for the addicts. And so at night, the addicts mm. will jump the school fence and they'll shoot up here. And so, yeah, that's great. Could your church come in and clean up? you know, heroin needles. I'm like, that's not what I had in mind. Like we have a whole leadership <laughs> curriculum and I thought we could do a lot for your teachers and thought we could do like a backpack big giveaway to your families. And they were like, no, nah, that's not what we want or need about clean up needles. So we increased our insurance policy and <laughs> got, uh, you know, contractor gloves, uh, coal miner gloves for our volunteers. And we started cleaning up needles, you know, and that's how our, Everything that we were able to do with APS, you were a big part of, it started with cleaning up needles. And so sometimes you have to do the thing that nobody wants to do, and then God will give you a platform to do the thing that everybody wants to do, right? And it starts small, but I've seen that God uses uh, ordinary people in overlooked places to do extraordinary things. So you might be listening, you feel like you're just an ordinary person, and, and you're o- overlooked, and... Um, and yet God can use you to make a big difference. And it starts with what's in your hand. What do you have that can make a difference? And so you speak two languages. You're good at English. How about help people? How many people in New Mexico want to get better English? How many immigrants are there going, I want to learn. So you could be that difference, right? And so that's how I, th- I think Clay, it just starts with one person saying, hey, what, what do I have? How can I make a difference? And somehow that, that cre- God sees that and says, I'm going to get behind you and I'm going to help you and I'm going to attract other people to your cause. And um, so we, we labored for a long time in anonymity, you know, when no one was looking and, and yeah. very few open doors and mayors and governors weren't, weren't taking our calls. 
uh, but we ministered to those that we could. And I think if your faith, Jesus said it that way, if you'll just be faithful in little, I'll make you faithful over much. So if you can just be faithful to the little things, um, I'll make you faithful over big things. Well, and just so our listeners know, anytime that there was a need, and, uh, you know, obviously we've just come out of a, out of a crazy time where the needs were, were huge. Um, but uh, Brian and Mercy have always just gone forward. And if, and I think the momentum of, of you charging forward, because you just put your head down uh, you've, after you're on your knees, because I, I do know that you're absolutely a man of prayer. And once you get clear vision, there's no stopping you. And if people want to come alongside you, I see you a lot saying, come and see what we're doing. You're more than glad to help. And the momentum is huge. Um, I think the, the really large one, you, you work with an organization called Convoy of Hope. And uh, That's right. I remember you were, you had brought them to Albuquerque city and you did not have government support. You didn't have city support at that time. And you went and did that anyhow. And all of a sudden they, they saw what you were doing there for, for their community, for our community, for your community, um, with no intentions of, Hey, we need this from you before we do this. And you just go ahead and do it. I want you just to speak to a little bit about what that looked like, because that was just an amazing time, uh, just a great turn of events. And then how, because you were so willing to put yourself out there, how others came alongside, and then some of the stories um, that happened through that. Yeah, you know, uh, my first park park outreach for the community was in 1998. And 18 people showed up, Clay. Yep. And uh, honestly, I felt like such a failure. I felt like, you know, nobody showed up. We had music. We had food. We had balloons. We had the jump out. And 18 people showed up. So, you know, so it goes back a long time. You know, it, it goes back over 20 years. Uh, just wanting to serve people. And, uh, and, uh, you know, about, about four years ago, Pastor Jason Dickinson for Harvest yep. said, Hey, what do you think? We, I've always wanted to bring in Convoy Hope. We didn't have an organization, you know, of churches that could do it. What do you, you think about New Mexico praise? What do you think? And I'm like, yes, let's do it. And so like we, we had the conversation at coffee. I, I called somebody down at the convention center. The next day we were touring the convention center. <laughs> And so, uh, and so I just said, Hey, we'll take it. We want it. And what dates is it available? Signed a contract <laughs> without any promise of support. You know, it was $80,000 right. <laughs> to rent it. And, uh, I was like, okay, let's <laughs> just commit ourselves to it's, we got a year from now, but, uh, so, okay. I hope, you know, I hope this works, you know? So that was, that was in 2017. We signed the contract for the 2018, the first Convoy Hope. <laughs> and I was like, I sure hope some people step up, you know. And uh, took a friend of mine that was it was part of Mayberry's administration. Took a friend of mine out to, to lunch and said, hey, do you think the city would partner with us? This is a million-dollar event. <laughs> we had nothing raised. We had nothing pledged. But in, in, in faith, it would be a million-dollar giveaway. And... Uh, what do you think the city could do? You think the city could donate the convention center? He goes, Oh no, that, that'll never happen. And, uh, and I said, well, I think you could give us a, a nonprofit discount. He said, well, it's 80 K if, you know, 
I mean, that's the price. And he goes, I, I guess I could give it to you for 30, you know, we could do some kind of a thing, but you're going to have to pay 30. I said, 30 is amazing. You save me 50 K. I'm going to believe that the city of Albuquerque is going to step up because you care about hungry, hurting poor people. I just have something in my heart tells me you got, it. he goes, that's not going to happen, bro. But you know what? And and it didn't come through to a real close up to the, the event. And we, we were holding on for that. Right? that for and, and just before the first one event, it all came through. And we got notification that, hey, the city of Albuquerque stepped up, you know. And then and then Mayor Keller came in and saw what we were doing and loved it and became the biggest champion for it, you know, and supporter of it. And and then uh, City Councilor Ken Sanchez, who became a dear friend. Um, mm. Yeah, he passed away. Right. But uh, became a dear friend and said, hey, we City Council wants to be part of Tomboy Hope. Can we be part of this, too? I know the mayor's part of it, but we want to be part of it, you know. And then... You know what? You just you just start sharing, and you you just start sowing seeds. You don't know which of those seeds are going to land, and you don't know which of those seeds are going to bear fruit. And I've sown a lot of seeds that didn't bear a lot of fruit, but so did Jesus, right? He goes, a sower goes out, and some of some of the places, grounds where you sow seeds don't bear fruit, but others do. And so I would just, I'm just a big believer in sharing the story, and and knowing that some, it'll ignite something in some people. And sometimes some of the people that I thought would be my biggest supporters never got on board. Mm. Others I thought would never get on board were the quickest, you know, so you just never know. You just got to share the story, share the vision in your heart and let God do the rest. You, you, you're not responsible for that. You just, you just got to share vision and see who it ignites, you know? And so I was surprised, you know, when Comcast called me, <laughs> Hey, I'm regional manager for eight States for Comcast in Denver. Right. <laughs> we heard about Comboy Hope Albuquerque. I'm like, what? Like Denver's got a lot of stuff going on. And so we heard about your event and Comcast wants to be a part of what you're doing, you know, and uh, could we be, uh, you know, one of your signature, you know, uh, sponsors and you're like, ah, sure. You know, so, but it started with nothing, you know, and I think that's faith. Faith is believing that something can be there. Uh, and, and someone has to get out of the water. I love Peter because he got out of the water. He got out of the boat and he got on the water scared to death. Right. Um, and, you know, the disciples were taking bets and how quick it would take him to sink, right? Like, you know, what's the over and under on Peter sinking, you know? And and he started to sink. He, he had his eyes on Jesus. As soon as he got his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink. And uh, Jesus grabbed his arm. And, and uh, but you know what? And he started to, you know, Jesus said, Peter, why did you have a little faith? And they're like, see, and they're laughing. But, man, I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. Come on. Any yes. day of the week, it's easy. anybody can be a critic for, from the sidelines, right? I'd rather be in the game and, and and sink a few times, knowing that God will always get my back. And I've sunk a few times. I look back on that story, and, and I think that they can say whatever they want, and Peter would say, "Yeah, but have you ever walked on water?" It's just that's right, because he did. <laughs> hey, um, tell tell the listeners what Convoy of Hope is, and then I want you to tell them the numbers that actually came out of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Combo Hope is a great community organization. Uh, they do a lot of things. One of the things that they do uh, that we were part of is community events. So they'll come in and bring in the Cancer Foundation and bring in 3,000 pairs of shoes for kids and bring in 80,000 pounds of groceries and things like that. And so incredible organization. They feed the hungry around the world. And so we, Pastor Jason and I partnered up with them to start Convoy Hope Albuquerque, kind of the local chapter of that. And, uh, you know, the first year in, in 2018, uh, we had 
over 5,000 people come out to the convention center. We fed them all a Chick-fil-A lunch. The local Chick-fil-A owners stepped up and, and provided the, the lunch, and they got Presbyterian did a health clinic yep. uh, for everyone who came through, got their health screening and checkups, and uh, you know, we gave away over 3,000 pairs of shoes and 500 haircuts and 500 family portraits. And, and uh, you know, one of the – and I was, I was giving Lieutenant Governor John Sanchez a tour um, in 2018 – And I look over a play and I see a Muslim mom mm. uh, with with her four children and all of her children are, are getting shoes. And, that, and then I see I see the mom getting a pair of shoes. So I went over later to the, the shoe area and I said, tell me the story. What happened there? And they said, well, they were they were immigrant refugees and uh, and uh, from a Muslim country. And uh, the kids were getting shoes and the volunteer. Uh, saw the mom had worn out shoes too and said, would you like a pair of shoes? And in her broken English said, oh, well, you know, I don't know if you have my, oh yeah, I think we have your size. And so, you know, a large kid's shoe fit her. And so, and we would take off their shoe, old shoes, take off their socks, wash their feet, pre-COVID, wash their feet, uh, dry their feet, put a new pair of socks, new pair of socks on a new pair of shoes. And so Muslim mom and Muslim kids. And I thought that's the gospel, right? a Christian washing the feet of a Muslim and uh, knowing that we're in this human struggle together. Uh, and if I have something, it's your, it belongs to you. And I think that's what Jesus would do. And uh, I just thought, man, that's the gospel at work here. And that uh, was a beautiful, so it was just a beautiful moment for me to see that. And so then, you know, Mayor Keller said, well, let's do it every year. So we did it in 2019. Um, and we had 9,200 people, Um, and so ne nearly doubled and uh, the strength of that was always the volunteers you know we'd have 1800 volunteers men women teenagers children yep. uh that would say hey we, we want to serve and and so really was the strength of the volunteers uh, both from the church and from the community uh the city of albuquerque saying hey here's eighty thousand dollars we'll donate the space city council saying here's thirty thousand cash on top of a free <laughs> on top of a free venue here's thirty thousand cash to help with it and do with the marketing and, and Presbyterian doing the clinic, you know, and, uh, you know, it just really was a community. And then all the churches uh, coming on board. And, uh, and I remember 2019, we were opening the doors and, uh, city councilor Ken Sanchez was there with me opening the doors. We, we got to open the doors together and we shook hands. It was very cold out in November and it was cold as people were coming in and we just shook their hands as they would, Come into the convention center, and Ken started crying. Mm. And, uh, he said, "Thank you so much for letting me be part of this. And, uh, this. This has changed my life. Thank you." I said, "Thank you. You know, we gave you an opportunity you didn't have, but you gave us things we didn't have, right? And so that's that's the human spirit of generosity is what I have. I'll give you. I have I have connections. I have doors. I can." But you had funds and resources from city council that we needed, right? And, and we everyone puts what they got into the pot. But then you had one volunteer who showed up for four hours, but their contribution was just as important as the people who put it on, right? So everyone just does their part. And, uh, you know, a few weeks after that, uh, Ken got a stroke yeah. and uh, was in the hospital. And uh, they didn't let anybody with family in. And I got a call on Christmas Eve. And uh, Ken's longtime assistant, and she said the family said 
they want you to come because you were you were Ken's pastor. Mm. And uh, they never came to my church, but I was his pastor. And they said they want you to come. Nobody but family's been here. You're the first non-family to be allowed in. So they called me on Christmas Eve. And they said, can you come in two days? And uh, so I prayed for two days and got to go down there and minister to the family. And Ken had been unresponsive for three weeks. And his assistant said, Ken, Pastor Brian's here. Pastor Brian, he opened his eyes. And the family kind of, ah, you know. <laughs> and and I and I, I just grabbed his hand. And I looked in his eyes. And I said, Ken, this is Brian. I love you, brother. Mm. And he squeezed my hand. And his daughter started crying and said, he hasn't, he hasn't responded to anything for three weeks. And, uh, and I said, Ken, I, I remember the time at that little Mexican restaurant on 12th Street, and you asked me about Jesus. You asked me, Brian, why do you, Pastor Brian, why do you do all this? You do for me. Why do you do it? Right. I said, well, let me, let me tell you about a man named Jesus who was more than a man. He was God in the flesh, and he was serving poor people. And Jesus, in fact, said, I came to preach good news to the poor. <laughs> right? Like, serving the poor isn't an add on to the gospel, it's the very heart of the gospel. Because Jesus gets to define the gospel, no one else, right? No theologian gets to define the gospel. Jesus defines the gospel. And the first time he uses that word, the word good news, in Luke 4, 18, he says, I came to preach good news to who? To the poor. Mm. So if your gospel isn't good news for the poor, it's not a gospel that Jesus would recognize, right? Like, if you show up and it's not good news for the poor, you're not doing ministry the way Jesus did it. And, uh, and I think we build our churches for middle class and upper middle class. When Jesus came and said, I'm, I'm here for the poor, everyone else, you get to listen in. And there's just something about poverty and brokenness that attracts Jesus. Um, Jesus is attracted to brokenness. And so every person out there right now that's hurting, that's broken, that's lost a loved one, that has a loved one on drugs, that has a loved one you know, in prison, uh, that, that's lost their business or lost their job or didn't finish college or feels like has a broken marriage and just feels broken, know that God is attracted to you because God is attracted to brokenness. He's attracted to pain. He's attracted to hurt. It says that God is near the broken in heart, but the proud he knows is far off, right? So what I've just seen about Jesus and what inspires me is that he's drawn to hurting, broken, poor people. And um, God's not attracted to the rich. He's attracted to the poor. And uh, if you have resources, use them, leverage them. You have influence, leverage it to serve the least among these. And, uh, you know, my, my favorite, one of my favorite stories, if, if I can share it, Clay, if there's time. There's always time. It's about, it's about a man named Clarence Jordan. And uh, Clarence uh, got a PhD in agriculture from the University of Georgia. And then uh, when he was in, he had a passion for poverty. So he thought maybe with agriculture, he could do something to help elevate people out of poverty, but when he was in college, he began to understand that the roots of poverty were were spiritual as well as economic, and so he went and got a second PhD in, in Greek New Testament, and so armed with two PhDs, Clarence and his wife, Florence, and just one other couple, they moved to a 440-acre tract of land, bought, a, bought it in America's Georgia, and they wanted to create an interracial Christian farming community. And so they called their farm Koinonia, Koinonia, and, uh, which is the Greek word for Christian community, right? And so he, they go there and they start this farm. Uh, 
black families and poor white families, they could live side by side and, uh, and, and farm together and grow together. And so, you know, they, they valued peace, but that peace was constantly threatened in the 50s and 60s as the civil rights movement progressed. And mm. white residents, as you can imagine, boycotted the farm, threatened their residents, bombed it several times. And in fact, Clarence Jordan sought help from President Eisenhower, uh, but they refused to get involved and said they turned it over to the governor of Georgia. But the governor of Georgia was a staunch supporter of racial segregation. Mm. <laughs> so he, he ordered the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to investigate Koinonia Farm for purported ties, communist ties, which weren't true, but that investigation lasted 14 years. So instead of saying, hey, we got bombed, please help us, they get investigated, right? So. 1954, uh, the KKK set fire to the farm, and they riddled Clarence's home with bullets. Mm. And all the families left, except one one black family, and the Jordans. And the local one of the local newspaper reporters, right, who he happened to be one of the Klansmen who had set fire to the farm the night before. He he arrived the next morning, pretended to be so surprised by the burnt remains of the farm, and he walked up to Clarence, and Clarence was out in the field hoeing and planting just like every other day, and he said, I, I heard that awful news, and I came out here to this story about the tragedy of your farm closing. Clarence paid no attention and just kept on hoeing and planting. And uh, finally, the reporter said in a haughty voice, well, Dr. Jordan, you got two of them PhDs, and you put in 14 years of the farm, and there's nothing left at all. Mm-hmm. How successful do you think you've been? Clarence stopped and turned toward the reporter and said, well, about as successful as the cross, I suppose. And he said, sir, I, I don't think you understand this at all. What we're about is not success, the faithfulness we're staying. Have a good day. He turned around and continued hoeing and planting and quoting a farm. It's still alive to this very day because mm-hmm. of a man who thought little of success and placed his highest calling as faithfulness. But let me tell you the end of that story uh, because, you know, what? they just went back to farming, their farm had their farm had been destroyed, and they rebuilt it, and uh, just continued to try and this dream that was in their heart with, with very little success, with very hard circumstances. They were trying to build an interracial farm, so they were way ahead of their times. Eleven years later, 1965, uh, he gets Clarence receives two visitors to the farm. It was self-made millionaire Miller Fuller and his wife Linda. And they've gotten saved, and they decided to walk away from the Hollywood lifestyle and devote their life to Christian service. They only planned to be there a few hours, but they were so captivated uh, by Clarence's vision and burden and the sacrifice and just his relentlessness. And, and they just said, you know what, we're going to move here with you and help you build this. So together, these two couples would turn Koinini into more than an interracial farm. And they had this idea for what they called partnership housing. Partnership housing with this idea was to build to build and sell quality, affordable homes at cost. All right, so if it costs a hundred k, that's what we sell for. So no one's making a profit off this. We just cover the cost with a zero interest mortgage for low income families. And Clarence Jordan died four years later in 1969 before they saw the completion of the first house built. But they had this idea: what if we built low cost homes, sold at cost? with zero interest love. But you know what? He died. The Fullers carried on his work. And in 1976, 
seven years after Clarence died. They proved this model worked in Georgia. They proved it in Africa, in Zaire. And they founded a little organization called Habitat for Humanity. And over the past 45 years, Habitat for Humanity has helped more than 29 million people. 29 million people construct, rehabilitate, or preserve their homes. But the dream of 29 million homes started on one little farm with one man and one woman who chose to be faithful rather than to pursue success. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's what Mother Teresa said. They asked her, uh, you know, why do you, why do you stay here in India, the poorest of the poor? She said, God chose, called me to be a success. He called me to be faithful. And so I think if we, if we pursue success, you know, uh, we might get it, but at what cost? But if we pursue faithfulness, it is faithful what God told you to do. Uh, God will make you a success. And uh, if you'll serve when nobody's looking, God will build you a platform and everybody will be looking, right? And so, uh, man, that's that's just, you know, they started with what they had. Let's start one farm. And they lost their one. They just had one couple. They just continued. So I would say just if there's a dream in your heart that God's put there, don't give up on it. You know, and uh, in a decade, you haven't seen success. I wouldn't say give up. If God told you to do it, just obey him. If you can't shake it, just stick with it. And one day, God will send a, a Miller Fuller, right? So uh, one day, one day a benefactor shows up. And, uh, we saw the same thing with America Praise. You know, we started it with nothing. Left very successful ministry at Billy Graham to no salary, <laughs> to take a leap of faith and start a little prayer movement mm. uh, with, with, no, with no money, not knowing how, how I was going to provide for my family. Because I had already given up my, my church salary years before. And uh, took a leap of faith because God said to do it, and we wanted to, we wanted to pray for people, wanted to minister to people, and uh, you know what? Then God sent some benefactors, and then you know a billionaire jumped on board. <laughs> but <laughs> before that, you know, but before the billionaire got on board, you know, it was uh, fifty here, hundred there. So you know, you take your the little boy had a few showed up that day with a few fish. You know, and didn't know Jesus was going to hijack his fish sandwich. But uh, you know, if all you've got is a fish sandwich, God can take that and use it to feed thousands. So I just, you know, go back to the first question. What's in your hand? What has God entrusted you with? And if you'll release what's in your hand, God will release what's in your heart. What was in Moses' hand was a stick. <laughs> what was in his heart was setting his, his people, the Jewish people, free from slavery. And when God, when Moses gave God what was in his hands, the shepherd's staff, God released what was in his heart. So. You know, and that's why, you know, that's why you are truly a lion, because uh, it, it, there, there are very few people I know in our community that uh, walk, walk, walk the talk. I think I'm saying that right. Where, you, where they can come against you for, for maybe, well, not much. But what they can't do is say that you don't live live what you believe, and I think that's what draws people to you, Brian. You and Mercy and uh, your three kids, I know that uh, have impacted so many people. I look at what you guys have done here locally, and it continues to echo. When you were able to bring the churches and the city and the community leaders together under one banner, and that was to help our community, it it carries on. So when you guys moved from Albuquerque to Austin. 
there still is a, it's huge, the echo and the foundation that you guys planted. And, uh, and I know a lot of that was sacrifice of years and years and years. We always see the success. We always see the end result of the 20 years plus of the sacrifice made. And we think, yeah, see, that's what it takes. But it, what we don't see is the 19 years before the, that last year. So we're just so thankful for you and Mercy being faithful during the really hard times and the, the weeks and days and years prior um, where you, you know, you lived on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're playing that, brother. <laughs> people miss that. People miss the fact that uh, there's a sacrifice made for the success. And... Uh, uh, people are attracted to Brian and his wife because they truly, they live what they, what they preach. Um, you know, you, you very seldom see Brian and, and Mercy without their hands dirty. I always tell, tell people, you can tell someone who really believes what they do because of the mud on their feet, because they're out in the field with the people. And uh, you and Mercy have been faithful to always have mud on your feet and calluses on your hands. And we want to say thanks as a community. And uh, it's a lesson for all of us that if you, what, what you choose to believe, um, you, you got to put mud on your boots and calluses on your hands to make it work. And uh, we, we trust that God's blessings will continue to follow you guys and continue to grow your ministry and to show the world that uh, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. So. That's right. Hey, at the end of at the end of every uh, podcast, I always ask people if you had one thing to say to the entire world, if you could get on a loudspeaker and everybody could hear you from the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich, what would you tell them? I would tell them that Jesus loves you unconditionally, not as you could be, not as you should be, not as you wish you were. God loves you just as you are. He is head over heels in love with you. He loves you so much. He, he sent his one and only son for you. And uh, I wouldn't invite them into a religion, but I, I'd invite them to have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, because Jesus, Christianity's hurt a lot of people. The Christian evangelical church has hurt a lot of people and turned off a lot of people. Uh, but Jesus, behind that, uh, don't look at the flaws of that. Look at the person, the person of Jesus who served the poor who stood with adulteresses, who uh, turned the world upside down uh, by focusing on the least of these, and uh, by loving people, by showing people honor, respect. And that's the Jesus that I've fallen in love with. Um, it's not a religious Jesus. It's a real person. And he lives in my heart. He wants to live in their heart. And, uh, and I've seen Muslims find Jesus, um, not through Christianity, but through Jesus. Right, like they're they're turned off by the religion, uh, but they're they're turned on to Jesus. And uh, you know, Gandhi said he almost became a Christian. He studied the teachings of Jesus for many years, and he said, "I would have become a Christian if it weren't for the Christians." And you can say that's a cop out, but he actually was really attracted to Jesus. But he was uh, judged by some for for the color of his skin by some white Christians, and it really turned him off what he saw. And so what I would say is if you've been hurt by Christianity or Christians, forgive and, and take a, a fresh look at Jesus. And because I'm flawed, I'm a Christian and I'm flawed, just like any other person is flawed. We're flawed. 
but get your eyes off Christians, get your eyes on Jesus, because he's the real deal. And that's what drives me every single day. It's just God who loved me and pursued me, and he's pursuing you right now. So that's what I would say uh, to anyone who's listening, that Jesus is real, and he loves you, and you can have a relationship with him. Uh, to follow us, just cry out to him, say, Jesus, you know, show me who you are. And read his word, read his Bible, and uh, you'll find this loving, compassionate, merciful, inclusive uh, servant Savior that I found. Well, Brian, we want to thank you for being on The Voice of a Lion. Uh, we also want to thank you and Mercy for always including us in our ministry, for uh, coming alongside you anytime that we have a chance and that you have an opening. Uh, it's made a difference for us. And uh, we just uh, continue to pray for blessing upon you that you give it abundantly. Thanks for uh, caring so much about our communities, our people in the world. Um, you are truly an example of Christ's love. And... Uh, Regardless of where someone stands as a, in their beliefs, uh, um, I want them to know that there are people like you that uh, love unconditionally the way that we're supposed to. So, hey Clay, we Mercy and I love you and Michelle. We we cherish your friendship. So like we built a lifelong friendship. Mm. It doesn't depend on what city we live in. So we love you. We honor you. We cherish you. We we celebrate what you're doing in the community. And uh, just know that we're behind you all the way. Awesome. And I just want to put out notice to Austin. We may just try to get him back. Well, thanks, Brian. That's a true voice thanks, of the lion. Guys. And uh, that's it for us. All right. Love you, brother. Love you, bro. Bye-bye. I truly hope you enjoyed today's guest and you found inspiration, guidance, and you want to share it. Put it on Instagram, Facebook. Tell people about us. It would mean a lot to us. You can also give us your feedback at voiceofalion.com. And if you want to help us financially, you want to get involved with our nonprofit and what we do for the communities, not only here in New Mexico, but around the world, you can go to aspenproject.org and there's tons of ways to donate and find out more of what we are doing. Thanks again for being a Voice of a Lion listener and tell everyone.